from Psalm 37, Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious towards wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land of the, and cultivate full faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not faint or fret because of him who prospers in this way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cast, sorry, cease from anger. <laughs> then the number got mixed up there. Cease from anger and forsake with wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land, and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Psalm 37, 1-11. Good morning, church. Good to see you all. Uh, Thank you for being here. Word of announcement before we get started with the prayer and then our service. Uh, Tuesday ping pong. Uh, not ping ponger, that's okay. It's really just a kickoff of how to get more involved as a men of the church. Uh, in April, we have Pastor Richard coming to the uh, to North to talk about discipleship and, and maleness. And then also we're starting to kind of cast the call for a group of men going in May to Men's Malibu. This is your map of everything that's coming for the next four months, because if we're going to be growing together, it's going to take participation. And as Tom already celebrated, quite excited about over 300 people signing up for dinners of eight, over 35 hosts. Uh, This is the work that God calls us to, that both the stuff we think about and the way that we participate in life together. Uh, So thanks for taking the journey. And the video that you missed, it will be on our Facebook page starting tomorrow. But let me pray, and then we'll begin. Father God, thank you so much for the chance to come uh, before you as your people, as we gather. Lord, we know that uh, this, is a, this is a big tent this morning. There are visitors and longtime attenders. The people have been in this church for decades and people are not even sure what they believe about you this morning. But Father, we pray that you would do the work that you always do, and that is draw us out and draw us into your spirit. And Father, may we just be learning more about you this morning, opening us up, uh, reveal to us your will. And and reveal to us what it means that the meek will inherit the earth. In your great name we pray. Amen. Uh, This is the Kingdom of the God sermon series. Can you see it is the title, Week 3. And we're going in great depth uh, over the Beatitudes, which are the first 10 verses of, of the Sermon on the Mount, over this goal that we as a group of people would understand what in the world the Kingdom of God means. Jesus' number one topic when he preached was about the kingdom of God, or as Matthew says, the kingdom of heaven. Those are used synonymously in the Gospels, depending on who the Gospel writer is. But this was what Jesus talked about more than anything else. But for a lot of Christians, we don't know what the kingdom of God means. And so to understand this working definition, we're looking at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and we're really looking in depth at these first 10 verses, the Beatitudes, with this idea of that that Jesus' words would come to life. Our goal today is to unpack this this command, Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth. Now, if you have a bulletin, there are notes in your bulletin, there's also a title in your bulletin, and the title couldn't be further than the truth. It says, blessed are the weak. And actually, one of my points this morning 
morning is that meekness is not weakness. So we will fire the guy that sends the notes to the printer and uh, just chalk it up for a moment of weakness. And uh, you can cross that out because blessed are the meek, for they, as Jesus says, will inherit the earth. And this has been lived out this week for me in very practical ways. And obviously, you know, just kind of biographically as we get going, it's been a lot of fear, all right? Fear in the world this, this uh, week, fear in America this week, fear in Seattle, fear in our neighborhoods. And, and for me in this last week, it's been a hard week, fear, a lot of fear in our home. Well, it's, it's a private situation, but just fear, like when we've been posting no trespassing signs and, and just kind of fear of like, man, you know, is, our, is the place that we dwell, is it safe? And, and some kind of fearful stuff going on. And my daughter looks at me at one point during the week because we're, we're not sleeping as well as we should. And, and when, when you have that, 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 that feeling of fear, if you've, if you've experienced it recently, you know that it's, it's like an adrenaline rush, fear, and it's debilitating. You feel less human the more fear you're exposed to. And most of us in America, we don't have a daily dose of fear like our friends in Syria or in other parts of the persecuted world. But for me, this week and my family, it's just been fear, daily basis. My daughter looks at me one point during the week and she said, yeah, people shouldn't have to be afraid in their very homes. I said, sweetie, you're right. And this is the place that we find ourselves this week in my home as a much larger sense, as a church, no matter how you voted in America, no matter what you believe about, you know, Friday tuning in for the inauguration or Saturday tuning into the marches, there's fear all around fear. Fear about what will happen to our country. Fear as people are marching on Monday around the, the principles and teachings of Dr. Martin Luther King and then the inauguration and you know, people on the right saying that the media is persecuting them already and we're unfairly reporting size of crowds and people on the left and it's, I mean, there's antagonism, there's anger, we're divided, fear. So Jesus says here, the blessed are we when we're meek. I just have this question as we begin, what is our role as citizens of a new kingdom while we live amidst the empires of humanity, while we're living, can I say it, in places of fear? And to understand that, we need to understand what in the world Matthew 5, 5 is talking about. What is this beatitude asking for us to, to learn? We've been talking during the Kingdom of God sermon series, like just a rough working definition that when, when Jesus talks about the Kingdom of Heaven, he's talking about a future promise in the present tense. I mean, that's really rough and it's, that's not robust enough, but that gives us a handle for it. That, that the Kingdom of Heaven is, yes, it's someday we will, as Revelation says, we will wipe every tear from our face. There'll be no more mourning, no more hunger, no more Facebook posts, no more divisiveness. We'll be face to face, those of us that believe in the saving power of Jesus, we'll be face to face with the one that takes all pain away. That's the Kingdom of Heaven. But it's also, says Jesus, it's present here on the earth. We're meant to be living into these principles now, and it is a divine mystery. And in this same vein, Jesus says this morning, be meek, and there you'll find a new power source. And so if you're looking at your Bible, you see that, that Matthew 5, 5 is very similar to Matthew 3, or 5, 3. Very similar, the first and the third Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth. The first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But notice the inheritance changes. 
And so right from the beginning, Jesus is saying, when you're suffering, when you're, when you're persecuted, when you're feeling small, you'll have both a future promise, you'll be comforted. Last week, we talked about the comfort that comes when we mourn, and you have this present tense hope, even as you feel quite small. And perhaps that's one of the most powerful things that we need to be reminded of this morning, this kingdom value, that we can be small and powerful Jesus himself, talking about the kingdom of God later in Matthew, says, what is the kingdom like? It's like a mustard seed, one of the smallest seeds in ancient Israel. It grew into one of the most powerful brushes and, and, and shrubs and trees. And Jesus says, in your smallness, you'll find strength. And so pursue this this meek kind of faith that's not weak, it's not passivity, it's not disengagement. And in this new way, we want to understand that, that meekness becomes this middle ground, this powerful middle ground between anger on one side and disengagement on the other. And then as we ask these three questions today about you know, who are the weak and what is the inheritance and what does this matter anyway, as we seek to answer those three questions, my hope is that you discover in the scriptures a new power source for when we're small and when we're meek. Christ is saying, that's when I can really use you to do great things, both in the future, afterlife, and in the present tense. So let's begin the first point in your outline, who are the meek? The third beatitude says that the little people will be the hope of the earth. And though the rest of the world tells us the real hope of the world is the big people, the elected officials, those with the most Twitter followers or Facebook friends or, 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 or wealth. And Jesus says right out the gate here in our third beatitude, he says, no, when you're small in my kingdom, you're powerful. What in the world is he talking about? The word that Jesus uses here, blessed are the meek, when it was first translated, he would have been speaking this in Aramaic, but when it was first translated into the Greek Septuagint, they use this word praus. Praus, meek means uh, praus. It's that form of meekness. It's humble and gentle and contented. And full of humility, depending on your version of the Bible, you probably have one of those synonyms in Matthew 5.5. 5. Be like this, Jesus says. But what prowse is not, it is not disengagement. It's not victimization. It's not being a doormat and letting, letting somebody keep you in places where you're enslaved and victimized. Jesus is not encouraging his people to be doormats and just wait for the afterlife where we would just suffer as martyrs anonymously without ever raising our voice. There is this middle ground that Jesus comes to us this morning. He says, blessed are the meek, you will, you'll inherit, inherit the earth. And, and this is, there's a call that happens in Matthew 5, 5 that's really interesting. The first two beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, these are passive states that we've kind of been found to be victim from. Like when you're, when you're poor in spirit, that's not something you've per- pursued. When you're mourning, it's definitely not something you pursued. And we've talked about that the last two weeks. The Beatitudes, in the first two Beatitudes, these aren't saying that it's better if you're trying to pursue mourning or you have to feel falsely sad. Or sad. It's not saying like that at all. It's a passive state where Jesus says, when you find yourself in these places of dispiritness, these places of brokenness, these places of sadness, take heart. I'm with you, he says. And some commentators think Matthew 5 continues the vein. He says, blessed are the meek, that these are another inherited character traits. I disagree. And many of the scholars I've read this week also disagree. Because of this this ethical word, prowess is actually an ethical word, means it defines our actions. And meekness is something that we can pursue. 
We can, we can try to become more like this. We can try to have a value that's, that's not angry, that's not disengaged, but that we have this middle ground of meekness. And we understand sometimes in our smallness there's still power. In the ancient world, they would use this word prous, what we've translated as meek. Uh, they would use it really concretely when training horses, big, strong, powerful horses. When, when, when the trainers would, would use prous, they would, they would control the spirit of the animal. Now notice, good animal training is not to beat it down, to tell it it doesn't exist, to try to make it feel smaller or less powerful. That's not what a trainer would want at all. But prous means in the ancient world that the power is, is restrained with wisdom. And so that helps me think about meekness. Power restrained by wisdom. Christ is calling me as his believer to, be, to, to, to understand that there is a, a power in the restraint. We don't want to be stuck on either side of disengagement or constant anger. Aristotle himself in ancient Greece said meekness is the mean, is the middle road between, between anger and indifference. Between angry and indifferent. And we, for too long, many people, we've been, we've been indifferent did you watch Inauguration Friday? Nah. Did you march Monday or Saturday? Nah. I just, you know, what's going to be is going to be. And, and in many of the contexts, particularly one I was raised in, it was all about the afterlife anyway. It's not at all what Jesus is saying. He's not telling us to be disengaged. And in the same way, he's not, he's encouraging us. Like, don't be angry all the time. Like you ask someone that struggles with anger, and we've got some of us in the room, all right, we're, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. It's like, yeah, I'm prone to the angry outburst, but it doesn't, it, it's not, you don't ever aspire to be angry. No, you aspire to get your point across. There's often something deeply seated, something truthful, something I dare say even good underlying the anger. You're angry with your kids because you want to see them succeed or make their bed or whatever. We're angry with our parents because we want to see them make different choices or, or, or do something. You know, the, the anger is often grounded in something good. But then we can't let go of it. We show no restraint. And if we become angry oftentimes enough, the world doesn't see us as wise. What do they see? They just see us as really angry. Who wants to be angry all the time? Jesus, be meek. Walk that middle road between constant anger and, and this subtle indifference that you don't think your voice matters in society, and there I will use you. The word denotes self-control and genuine humility. And this is definitely in contrast to the culture of his day, much as it is to, I mean, could you imagine marching yesterday with the women's march if your sign was, be meek? And people would just be like, okay. That's not what my sign said, you know, or, or Friday at the inauguration, be meek. Or, or Monday, Martin Luther King, Martin, you know, be meek. We don't, we don't talk about it enough. And oftentimes it's because we synonize it, we, we make it about weakness. We're like, I don't want to be weak. She says it's not about that. It's this middle road between anger and indifference. And for the Hebrew people of the day, there was this pride in learning. We would assent our way to God. And, and for the Greeks, it was an intellect that we could think our way to be like gods. And for the Romans, it was in our power that we could be mighty and like gods. But not for Jesus, not for his people. It's never been that way. He says, your salvation will not be something that you ascend to. It will be something you relent to. 
Your salvation and your fullness as disciple of Christ is not an ascent and the end of a, a path that we can get there ourselves. It's, it's relenting and receiving God's power inside of us. Right? How do we know? That's the Bible's full of it. That's always God's way. It's this, it's this counterintuitive way that God's power is not by us ascending, but us relenting. That was Moses. Moses was a murderer. Spent 40 years in Midian, was sure that his life had been wasted. God says, perfect. You're the kind of guy that I can use. You got meekness. How about the nation of Israel when they finally, after all those years, they're finally in the promised land. They come to Jericho and God says, I've I've got something for you. What, What will we do? Circumcise all the warriors. God, your ways are not our ways. And God's like, yeah, you're finally starting to get it. Your strength is not something you ascend to. It's something you relent to. There's this powerful picture in the book of Judges about Gideon who understood that strength wasn't something we ascend to. It's something we relent to. When we first see Gideon in Judges 6, he's out in the threshing area. He's beating weed. He's a farmer. He's a peasant. He's a nobody. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Gideon, you're mighty. You're powerful. You're going to do great things. And Gideon says, no, that's impossible. And, and we should just be reminded, oftentimes, remind us again, God, God uses the weak to be mighty for him. He uses the meek to be powerful for him. We have a new power source, and it doesn't look at all like the world looks. And so when we look at the world and we're discouraged because of, of systemic racism in our cities, we should be discouraged but not surprised. We look at an inauguration, whether it's Friday for you or four years ago for you, but when we see the power systems and we're disappointed in them, we should not be surprised. So Gideon says, I'm just a man. God says, but I see you for who you are. And in your meekness, there's new power. He says, I want you to go fight. There's 130,000 guys. And Gideon's like, I'm paraphrasing. What do I got? God's like, 32,000. Gideon says, I don't like my odds. God says, well, guess what? There's still too many. There's too many. I, I, need, I want less than 32,000 because I don't want you to ever believe it's your strength of what you're ascending to. You're, you're not ascending to a deeper faith. You're relenting to God's power working in us. And so in Judges 7, early in the morning, Gideon and his men camped. The camp of Midian was, was there. And the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. I mean, how good is that? That's Judges 7, 2. We live life by our own strength. And God says in the discipleship journey, it's not about your strength. It's about God's strength. So to make his point with Gideon, God tells him, now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left and 10,000 remain. Gideon's like, okay, now I really don't like my odds. 10,000 with me, 130,000 Midianites. And God's got deeper plans because God's ways are not our ways. The Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I'll thin them out for you there. Gideon's like, thanks. All right, this is actually deeply encouraging. If you're in a season where you're like, God, you're thinning me out. I mean, the job is harder than it should be to get a job right now. Or the marriage feels a lot harder. Or I thought I'd be harder. Or school feels really hard. Relationship with parents. God, I'm in a thinning out season. We're right where we want to be. Because God says, this I can, I can start to use you. God's like, hey, go take them down to the water. I'll thin them out further. 
If, if I'll say, this one should go with you, he should go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he should not go. So Gideon, Judges 7, 5, took the men down to the water. There the Lord told them, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. The 300 men of them drank from the cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. And God says, now you've got your army. The dog lappers. <laughs> what in the world? Now, what is going on in this story? I confess I don't know it perfectly, but let me give it a guess. God says, I'll separate the army for you. And there's, there's some that when they go to the water, they'll kneel. Because you were taught in the ancient times when you were thirsty, and you, were, you know, these are, warfare was still by hand in these days. It's a sword or, or you know, something you're going to carry. And so when you're kneeling, your eyes are up. You can get some water, and you're going to kind of be paying attention. God says, I want the, I want the lappers. And someone, you know, I, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if, if, if they, like, they're in such a, a hurry, they just grab water and they're that. I mean, I almost have this picture there. They're actually down, like cupped hands. It says they're licking the water out of cupped hands. And I don't know, were they standing? Were they laying? Don't miss the point. They were thirsty. And God says, with the thirsty ones, the dog lappers, those are my people. Because as Luke would say around this similar parable or the similar beatitude he says when you're hungry you'll be filled and when you're thirsty you know that you need God to show up in concrete ways if that's you this morning if you're feeling like you need God to show up in concrete ways we have this hope we have this high king we have this gospel that promises that our salvation is not something that we ascend to but rather something we relent to and so we're commanded to walk this middle road between anger and indifference that we would care very deeply about what's going on in the country and then care very deeply about our society and care very deeply about keeping the, the peace and safety of our homes, but that we have a confidence that comes from Christ alone. And Peter says that in 1 Peter 3, 4, rather, it should be of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And so just to try to make this practical for you, I, I could go all day. I'm really excited about sharing this with you this morning. But just two real practical things here under this, who are the meek? The first is this. Meek people let humility be their power source. Meek people let humility be their power source. We need a power source. We, we need something to get us through the days. We need something to encourage us. Meek people let humility be their power source. Because this ethical word that Jesus used, meekness, it's this boldness without hubris. It's not, it's not cockiness. It's not, it's not bragging, but there is, a, there is a power that's available in our humility. It's a Gideon nature. It's a Moses nature. It's saying, God, well, who am I for you to use me? And God says, exactly. Now you're beginning to be ready to be used. James 3.13 says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. And so Paul would write to the church in Corinthians. He says, shall I come with a rod or come with a spirit of gentleness? We're, we're coming with this spirit of humility, and it's a power source. And that comes later here in the, in the confidence that we're part of God's family, and there's an inheritance that awaits us. But humility can be a power source. It truly can. I know that doesn't look like what we see on the TV, around the world, around a country, in our city, uh, whatever. God says, in my kingdom, it looks different. Let your humility be your power source. And secondly, Meek people are content from their confidence. We are like trained horses meant to not lose our confidence. We are called to be content 
and how God is working even in the midst of really difficult situations. And we're, we're a little angry and others are a little bit disengaged. But this morning Christ is calling us and reminding us, hey, take heart, be content, and, and there's a confidence in your faith. Don't walk around feeling like God doesn't care anymore or God's always angry because I'm working still. Psalm 37, many say Jesus drew some of its inspiration from Matthew 5, 3. Psalm 37 is what Brian already read. Refrain from anger and do not fret. It's powerful that we would choose not to fret and, and not to be drawn to anger, but we would be called to choose meekness. That's this, this confidence and there's a contentment that comes as we're confident that God will work, even in situations that feel really dark and discouraging at times. As Eugene Peterson translated this verse, blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less, that's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. And so be meek and know that God loves the underdog. And if you're in an underdog moment, relationally, financially, spiritually, take hope. Your God cares deeply that you encounter him and you have the hope of his resurrection living in your life. Who are the meek? They are God's people here, walking this middle road between anger and indifference. The second question we need to answer is, what is the inheritance that we're promised? So Matthew 5, 5 says, the meek will inherit the whole earth. That's what it says. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So the word for inherit here, I think it's interesting, clarineo, it's to mean to be a literal heir. Like a, a literal, like you have, you have riches awaiting you. It, but it's not just what in the, in the future tense, it, it's a present tense word. That's interesting. So Jesus isn't just saying, someday when you'll die, there'll be hope for you. Jesus is saying, no, in the present tense, you'll inherit the hope. I think that's really good. That's, that's powerful. There is hope in the present tense, not just the future glory, but this present fulfillment. We need Jesus in the present tense. I didn't sign up for faith just for the afterlife. I need Jesus this week for hopefulness, for, for rest, for joy. In present tense, Jesus, make it real now for us as your people. Clarineo, you're going to inherit the, the present uh, earth. It, it's a Greek word, gay, dirt, land, like physical land. And super interesting, I already kind of went over it, but Matthew 3, 4, 5, it's all there. You'll inherit the heavens, you'll be comforted, and you'll inherit the earth. There is a present tense hopefulness to being a Jesus follower. That's how it will always be as Jesus followers. So Jesus would say in Matthew 19, 20, the last in my kingdom will be first. Or in Matthew 23, all who humble themselves will be exalted. The new power source, friends, is not something we ascend to, but something we relent to. And so as God's people called into this, this active participation, this seeking to be more meek, we don't want to be weak, we don't want to be disengaged, nor constantly angry, we need this power source. And Jesus is saying, you'll actually inherit the land. This is very, very powerful to first century Israel because as Jesus is preaching those words, he's surrounded with signs of empire, right? We've been talking about this. There's literally Roman guards all around. It's the biggest empire in the history of humanity. No accident that Jesus intersected earth at the exact time of the biggest empire of humanity so that he would say, don't govern your hope by which empire governs you. No, have a different hope governing you. What governs your hope? It's the faithfulness of Christ. And I'm giving you, says Christ, the very land under your feet. Because in that world, the land was where all the hope was for. 
Remember the Old Testament was this quest for promised land, quest out of persecution and quest for God to fulfill their basic needs and then getting to the promised land and trying to understand how God's people were to function in the promised land. In the New Testament Christianity, we understand that the land is is almost metaphorical for our life. But the land really matters here, the real dirt. And to understand the the complexity of that, it's hard for us in the first world. Many of us get a title for the land if we buy a home. That means something. Yeah, we pay the bank, you know. But, man, you go to the third world, you you go to people that don't ever have uh, resources at their hands. They'll never own actual dirt. I mean, we, we saw this. Heather and I, we got a chance to go with our family a couple years ago down to Honduras. And we've been partnering with a village there, Piedra de Jareb. We have really exciting things that Bethany is getting ready to do with Agros. Because for the people in Central America, the working poor, they're cut off from the land. And so Agros is a Seattle-based organization that helps buy land for the working poor and then turn it over to them because they understand that as they're working the land, they'll understand that they're part of God's big picture. And so you, you, know, you go down there and you meet men, meet men like Juan Martin. And if you meet a guy named Juan Martin in Piedra de Jareb, he'll tell you. Like there's nothing metaphorical for them. They were cut off from the land because in Honduras, over 90% of the land is owned by seven families. Like, what a shame. I don't even need to talk about some of what goes on in a parallel way in America. But in, in the Central America, they're cut off from the land. And so Juan Martinez, they work. They work hard. They work so hard. They're farmers. But they're given a shot to pay back the note and own the land for their future generations. And so then they, they start these community health organizations, Agros does. And there's this one woman, Sarah, and she's so full of the love of Jesus she goes village to village caring for the children, taking care of the, of the education. Because when, when you own the land and then someone is pouring into you, your, your mental and emotional and spiritual well-being, then you flourish as humans. And so in this village, it's, there's flourishing, 24 families flourishing. And there's going to be opportunity for us as Bethany North to get more involved here in the next couple months. Really excited about talking to you more about that. But Jesus is saying... The land is life, and you're going to get a piece of the pie. We often think that, that maybe our confidence will be just, you know, what is happening in the world around us, and God says, no, your confidence will be in your belief that the whole earth is already the Lord's. That's what Psalm 24 says. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, all who live in it. And so there's a side note, and I'll just briefly hit it. Like, we're, we're actually called to, to steward the earth, to really care about what's going on with the soil, like to really care about what's going on with the degradation of our soil or the impoverishment of people. We're actually called to be tilling the actual earth because the fullness of the future kingdom is made to take up residence here in our present reality. And so Jesus says, you'll inherit the earth. And for these first century Israelites, I mean, their hero would be Moses. What was Moses like? He was meek. Numbers 12.3 says this. Now Moses was very meek more than all the men on the earth. And Moses never entered the land. You remember that story? We preached that this summer. He never got to enter because his own pride got in the way. He tried to strike the water from the rock. And so God says, because you've been proud, I can't use you anymore. You actually won't enter the land. I'll have you send the next generation. And so Moses goes right up to the doorstep of the promised land, and he's told he won't enter in. But Not you, not you little Jesus people, says Jesus. Not you meek. You'll actually enter the land. You'll actually understand your inheritance comes as you live into the fullness in the present tense that God says, even though you're you're meek, I'll do all things through you. 
You've inherited something really valuable, so protect it and live into it. Know that you have the access. There's a very countercultural aspect to this. As one scholar said, Jesus' message of the coming of the kingdom of heaven was a political message that had a social undercurrent, that bringing down the subordinating and exploited power structure would be achieved by those who challenged the status quo by changing themselves from the inside and beginning to live differently. I find that deeply convicting. Now, I want to challenge the status quo, but are you telling me, Jesus, that by changing myself from the inside and beginning to live differently, that's where the very challenge to the status quo exists? And Jesus would say, that's what I'm talking about with the kingdom of God. Mass evangelism happens by personal transformation. Care deeply about what's happening politically or publicly. But if that's cut off from your personal transformation, if you're angry all the time or if you're indifferent, if you're not pursuing this meekness, it's harder to be used as God's precious people. So this is our inheritance. We'll inherit the land. And it's, it's, it should be caught stirring us, stirring us. I, mean, I had this friend once who was always worried about his inheritance. I was a good friend. He was constantly worried about his inheritance or, because there was this relationship, and it's complicated, but... And I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about. Because the inheritance wasn't in influencing a, a present tense reality. He was just always thinking about what would happen later in life. Well, Jesus says, you, you will inherit the earth, but be meek now. And walk this middle road, this road of pursuing these humble traits and knowing how to raise your voice, but do in such a way from personal transformation setting the stage for what you want to see God doing in our community and that sets the stage pretty well for our third and final question. What does this matter anyway? What does this matter anyway? Meekness is hard. It's not something that we would necessarily raise our children to aspire to without the Bible. But she's saying in our actions, we're not to be angry or indifferent anymore. We're going to walk this middle road. And at times, we will stand up for issues that we believe in and for people that are being persecuted and for, for acts of bravery. But in all things, God says, be humble and I understand that it's in your smallness that I will do big things with you. We're not called to be small, but we are called to understand that our power comes from God. Don't be angry. Some of us in the room, it's like, this is kind of a tough one because we let anger govern us many times. Teach us, God, how to, how to, how to steward and care for the people that we're angry for and see the issue behind the anger. And as God's people, we have to know that they're in these difficult times and the times we live, God will call us at times to stand up and speak out. And one of the great heroes of Pastor Richard's faith, because he's been in Germany so often teach, teaching, he often talks about Sophie Scholl. Sophie Scholl was 21 when she and her brothers and some friends started the White Rose Movement. They stood up. They, they stood up against Hitler's rise to power. And, and she was powerful. She, she had a quote. Somebody, after all, had to make a start. They made a start. They, they passed out pamphlets. They were doing active resistance. But there was the spirit of meekness underlying her power, where she knew it wasn't for her own fame, but she was trying to serve God. She was taken into an interrogation room and showed up later with a broken leg. And let your mind go there for a while. And she never backed down. Because as God's people, confident of the inheritance, both of the future and this call to present action, we don't have to back down to the power sources of the world. But we can know that our power is as we, as we humbly stand up for what God puts on our heart. 
We, we typically have these camps, like where you're either cowardly or you're hostile, and the gospel offers us a new paradigm. Don't be angry, but don't be silent anymore. Paul would say the same thing in Ephesians. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you, Ephesians 4, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received, not ascended to, but relented to, open your hands to. Paul continues, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And so in meekness, we have this challenge, live the life worthy of our calling. Or in other words, a saying, Jesus saying, be the change that you want others to make. You, you start. You be the change first. And I'm not quoting Gandhi here. I'm quoting Jesus. Go ahead and be the change. You want people to be more concerned with social issues? Then be concerned with social issues. You want people to be falling more in love with Jesus? Then you fall more in love with Jesus. You want people to, to stand up and say, hey, we're going to treat people better? Then, then you let those, the, those, those beliefs govern your actions. There's nothing weak about that. Meekness is not weakness. There's nothing weak about standing up to injustice. There's nothing weak about saying to our young people, we really care that you fall in love with Jesus Christ. I mean, it's a side note, but for people, you know, raising teenagers, raising kids, hoping to someday raise kids, I mean, just know a life of following Jesus isn't just mysteriously caught somehow. No, it's just you stand up. And you model this, this humble, meek faith that, that speaks up and advocates for people and also is not angry and, and constantly just reactive. There's our hope coming for Christ. There's nothing weak about that. And so Christ is saying this morning, oh, asking, begging for us, teaching us, be meek. Walk this middle road. Don't be indifferent anymore and think that the matters of this earth don't matter to him. They do a great deal. But don't be like an unbridled horse running into all sorts of trouble and creating other trouble. Be wise and let the, the spirit of Christ teach you restraint, teach you when to speak up, speak you when to stand up, that, that we're falling in love with Jesus more and more and this meekness is coming from our blessed state of inheritance. This is the power source, Christ working in us, for us. So we don't have to worry. We're gonna take some strength from that Gideon story. 300 water lappers against 130,000. God says, those are the odds I like. And so if you're outnumbered this morning, if you're beat down, if you're discouraged, know that your God is fighting for you. He's standing for you. He's with you. He sees you. He's not absent. He's not missing. He's very much present, a very real source in all times of trouble. And so for me this week, yeah, it's just some trouble. I could be totally honest. Felt troubling. My kids troubled. They're worried. How do we know we're going to be okay? I just had to tell them. I said, because I will not let anything happen to you. I said, well, what if you're not? What if you're not here? What you know? And like, yeah, we'll, we'll put cameras up and we'll lock things and all this and that. But I said, you need to understand. I won't let anybody get to you because they'd have to go through me first. We have a God way bigger than that, friends. That is such a poor illustration to even help you understand of the God who fights for you, who the God who's standing for you, who's hoping for your sobriety and hoping for your clarity of mind, hoping to be freed from issues of pornography, who, who wants to be with you in your loneliness, who's standing with you in your places of, of despair. He's already there, and he's fighting for us, for our, for our future hope in the present tense, 
He's fighting for us. This is the God that we serve. He's so much bigger and so much more powerful than we can even imagine. But we will be his, his meek people waiting for him. And so when you came in this morning, we gave you this sticker. And it's not an equal sign. It's a pause button. There's nothing wrong with an equal sign necessarily, but it's not at all what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about a pause button. That when I'm, when I'm stirred to action, when I'm angry on social media, when, I, when I'm angry on Friday or, or Saturday or Monday, what day it is, I don't know, but when, when we want to be people not disengaged or people are angry, we're going to be kingdom people just pausing and, and trusting that God is working and will continue to work. Pause and pray, God, give me your wisdom right now. Do I speak up? God, has your kingdom living in my life? And this is what the psalmist wrote in, in Psalm 27. The beginning says, the Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is in the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And we're going to pause. Because in Psalm 27, the psalmist says, I'll remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. We will wait for God. Marching, great. We're still waiting for God to continue to deliver us. Not marching, okay. Still pausing and trusting that the meekness will be our power source. And that God it will do some mighty work in our time, both through us and in us. And there's the promise of Scripture. I just, this morning, I, I was reminded of it, and it's been just like this battle cry. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Listen to it again. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And so when we're, 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 we're 300 versus 130,000, when we're, when we're scared, when there's fear, when we're, when we're struggling, and we just can believe this. We got to believe this. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Will you say it with me? Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Will you say it louder? Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And do you believe it, friends? Do you believe it? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We will pause and wait for God. We will be meek and understand there is a middle road between anger and indifference that Jesus Christ is calling us to walk today as his people. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the teaching, the, the, the refreshing, Lord, the, these stories that come from your people through time, from the Bible. We read Gideon, it's like, oh yeah, I forgot about that, God. Remind me again. So when the enemy is crouching at my door and it feels like I'm outnumbered, God, remind me again. And God, when I'm stirred to so much anger because of what's going on in, in my home or my neighborhood or the city, Lord, remind me again, you're working, you're not silent, you haven't forgotten. And Father, if my heart's disengaged and just bitter and, and just kind of focused on my own self-good, remind me again. Father, we want to be people pausing and reflecting how to be your kingdom people. Blessed are the meek, you say, will inherit the earth. Teach us what that means. Lord, give us the strength and power to actually live into that in the days ahead. Greater are you, God, in us than what we see in the world around us. Remind us again. Remind us, we beg. In your name we pray, amen. Will you stand with us as we continue in song? <laughs>